It's that time again. Time to catch up with family. Time to share that home cooking that you've been craving. And yes, time to update your COVID vaccines. Updated vaccines now protect against the original COVID virus and Omicron. They're here just in time to make those family gatherings safer and extra special. Schedule your free vaccine today. Find updated COVID vaccines for everyone 5 plus at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. You guys have so much nice stuff to say about each other. Yeah, for real. We, we never have anything nice to say about each yeah, other. We, we just we just complain to each other all the time. It's like, hey, oh, we got to do what? this shit. Misery loves company. That works as well. Welcome to the worst Asian podcast, where a couple Asian American millennials give you our shitty opinions on all things Asian. My name is Linji. I'm here with my co-host Ben. I love you. Okay, I love you too. I guess <laughs> I love you. That's how we're starting off today. You're gonna pour tea and make a lot of noise right now. Oh yeah. Actually, I don't hear the tea pouring from the microphone. It's an art. It's an art. My ass, you just spilled it all over this. Uh... <laughs> I spilled it all over the equipment. My bad. Anyways, let's try to get serious for a little bit. Oh, um, sorry. Yes. A lot of what we talk about here on the podcast is in relation to the Asian American diaspora. So, you know, specifically over the past two years, even before we started this podcast, a lot of negative shit has been occurring in our community. Yeah. We try to shed light on like, you know, the positive things on life. Right. But unfortunately, there are ongoing issues. Yeah. We try to do our part, but we do like a half-assed approach here. Yeah. Uh, not because of a lack of wanting to, but just because we're half-assed people in general. Yeah. We have someone on the podcast today who is not a half-assed person, someone that's doing a lot of good for the community. Mm-hmm. She is the CEO and co-founder of Hate is a Virus, an all-around amazing person. Yes. Let's give it up for Tammy Cho. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. How you doing today? Thanks so much for having me on this podcast. Um, I'm doing well. How are you? We're doing good. So in the process of trying to get caffeinated, yes. Tammy, for those that are just listening, is wearing a very legit gamer set of headphones right now. Yes. <laughs> you could find her Twitch uh, channel uh, afterwards. You can send the info, <laughs> you know, if you like, you know. Um, I guess for the listeners out there, you want to give them a quick intro on yourself and what do you do? Sure. Hi, everybody. I am Tammy Cho. I go by uh, she, her, hers pronouns. I'm co-founder and CEO of Hate is a Virus. Uh, We're aiming to cultivate a vibrant community of API change makers, especially across industries as well as generations. And I'm based in Los Angeles, Mm. California. I have someone in the background and I want to make sure I introduce him now so you guys aren't stunned when you hear a mystery fourth voice. (laughs) 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 It's not just a random lurker on the internet or someone that's tapped into this stream. How did he hack into this (laughs) stream? You know what? It it should be plot twist that I've always been in every single episode (laughs) of your guys's and I just decided this time I will speak up. After one year, <laughs> the lurker that's always been in the background. I fucking knew it. <laughs> I had a feeling. It's finally here. <laughs> Let's give the for Raymond Lou. Yo. Yay. What's up, Al? What's up, everyone? Good to be on the Worst Asian Pod. Finally. <laughs> finally. I, I know. In the flesh, man. Um, okay. Tammy, I guess you want to take us back to where things all started in 2020. How did or what events led up to the creation of Hate as a Virus? Oh man, so much has happened since since then. <laughs> um, yeah, so Hate of the Virus first started back in March of 2020, and it really formed in response to the initial spike in hate we were seeing affecting our Asian American community. You know, we were seeing small businesses experiencing up to an 80% drop in business. And this was even before government was mandating lockdowns, right? And so Initially, it actually started as a local initiative to support those small businesses by um, organizing local food crawls. My co-founder, Michelle Hanabusa, kick-started um, that process off. And then fast forward to a week into that, lockdown happened. And mm, so yes. at that point, yeah. you know, obviously there was still so much of these issues going on, but um, we couldn't do these food crawls anymore to support our small businesses. So we figured out, you know, what can we do next? And that's when we really um, looked towards the digital mediums and organized and launched our digital campaign using hashtag hate as a virus. 
did you have any prior like experience with doing something like this like activism and stuff like that yeah i did um so prior to hate as a virus i also did work um on a nonprofit called better brave something that i launched uh, back in 2017 based on my own experiences as a woman in tech at the time um it was oh. efforts addressing a lot of the stuff that happened with the Me Too movement, um, a lot of the workplace harassment discrimination that was going on. And so I was definitely able to pull some of the learnings from from that experience into this. Nice, nice. And Ray, when did you jump on board with all this? I started with Hate is a Virus, I believe it was around April of 2021. Um, yeah, April 20, 2021. But prior to that, obviously, I think if you're on social media, on Instagram, you definitely heard of hate as a virus, especially as it was trending during um, the spike of anti-Asian hate crimes. And, you know, it was great because um, not only was the messaging so important to kind of highlight these issues that was happening in our community, but uh, personally for me, I just felt like the branding of it and the creativity of it was, was, was captivating. And that's oftentimes, you know, one of the things that captures a lot of people's attention um, so I had heard about it. And then I think uh, a friend of mine who, who I volunteered with before in another organization called Project by Project, and I had been a part of that nonprofit organization since 2018. Oh, wow. And um, his name is Tristan, and he's the VP of development for our organization today. But then I also had another friend whose her name was Annie. And so she reached out to me and said, hey, you know, our organization is a little, is growing. We're looking for some operational support because I specialize in operations at Project by Project. Mm -hmm. And so if you could come on board and, you know, help out a little bit, see, in, in, especially with like the fundraising efforts, but just in general operations. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll think about it. Because at the time I was doing, I was still doing Real Asian podcasts, my own podcast, working full time and still kind of being a part of project by project, but I knew in my head I was kind of closing out. I just wanted to finish out the year. But around April, I decided to join because I wanted to, you know, they were doing a lot of amazing things and I wanted to be a part of it. So at one point I was juggling two nonprofits, a podcast and a day job in 2021. Flex, big I, flex on your part. I, 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 I had Wild. zero social life. I was literally in front of the screen <laughs> the whole time. Um, but since then, it's been great getting to know everyone in the organization, getting to know Michelle and Tammy and following their leadership and getting to just know them as people. I think a lot oftentimes you see these movements and organizations, you just kind of know them as organizations. Yeah. But yeah. once you get to know the people, you kind of have a little bit closer tie and personalization with them. And that's kind of where, I, where I'm at right now. I'm no longer part of Project by Project, by the way. I'm, I'm, I've, after 2021, I was like, okay, I need to like slim down my Ease life. things up a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much of a plan together yeah 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 for That's sure a big workload um i'm gonna put you on the spot ray you have tammy here right in front of you how is tammy as boss what's it uh, uh, tammy mute, mute it right now yeah. <laughs> ray's gonna suddenly uh, cut off right now he's gonna lose yeah. internet connection no wi-fi like, hold on. <laughs> it's like hold on let me let me pull up the the doc that tammy sent me to say <laughs> one second hold on uh, no, uh, joking aside, Tammy is what I really value most about Tammy's leadership is that she really does kind of go uh, engage with every one of our team members, like on a very personal level. She, she takes time to get to know them and is respectful of everyone's time, capacity, mental space. So she is a very caring and I think compassionate leader and you know for someone who's being uh, who's co-founded and a ceo of an organization like ours there is a risk of kind of letting it kind of get to your head but yeah. tammy does not is not like that at all and you could see that in the public space when she does interviews and she does talks but she's very much the same like behind closed doors when we do have our team meetings and so she's always tried to make sure that you know, everyone is is on board with things and getting everyone's input, not only the directors, but from top down. And so uh, I think well, that's one of the things that I really value most of Tammy. And she's also very honest in terms of like things that she personally would like for us to work on as an organization and what she would like to work on as an, a, a leadership. So that shows humility and modesty, really. And and I pick up on those things. I don't know. I think I've, ever, I've never told you that in, in, uh, in your face, Tammy. We just created I, a moment. Thank you, Ray. I was going to say, I'm, that was beautiful. 
Tammy, did um, I get the script right? Did I? Did yeah, I, you by did. The way, Thank you for told, reading uh, it. You, you read it beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> My God, that was Oscar worthy. We Good gave job, Ray that Raymond. question way beforehand, so he had oh. an entire week to script this up for you. My God. Thank you. Thank you. I'll take my $20 now. It's good to hear because, you know, sometimes you see these big foundations and you see these big public figures that are the head of the foundations. And I'm always skeptical as to what they are actually like behind the scenes. Clearly, in front of the camera, in front of That's the true. mic, they have to act a certain way. So it's good to hear right. that Tammy is the same way on air and not on air as well. Pivoting a little bit, how big of a factor do you think the fact that the world that we live in now, the digital world, social media as a whole, with you, Tammy, especially, you know, your husband is involved with the whole internet as well, right? How big of a factor was all of the social media in terms of helping you guys grow? Yeah, it played a huge role. But can I jump in and add something real quick to your, see the last question? Because I also do, okay, I, I do, I do genuinely want, also want to acknowledge that so much of what we built for the organization is a testament to the team, including Ray here, mm. um, among others. I think when you think about, you know, we all got together, um, and, and this relates to the next question too, when the bulk of the work that we did started once lockdown happened, which meant that, you know, we really didn't have a chance um, to see each other in person. We all connected through like social media. I DM'd Michelle through Instagram, right? And it really was uh, a connection that was formed online. And the fact that as people, as a community who has never met in person, we were willing for the the cause to stay on Zoom calls for like countless hours. Um, That's true. Ray put together these incredible, incredible Harvard Business Review style um, graphics to help us organize <laughs> as an organization. You know, um, the Shit. fact that everyone right. was really able squares to step Squares and lines, up. that's the secret. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> squares and lines. Right I know. <laughs> yeah, but, but we really wouldn't be where we are without the team. So I definitely, I just wanted to name that. You guys have so much nice stuff to say about each other. Yeah, for real. We, we never have anything nice to say about each yeah, other. We, we just we just complain to each other all the time. It's like, hey, oh, we got to do what? this shit. Misery loves company. That works as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry, Tammy. Yeah. You were saying? Yeah. Oh, no, that, that was it on that piece. And then, yeah, in terms of um, the role of digital and social media on our organization, yes, such an important role. I think... Um, you know, not only with the nature of the lockdown, I think people were looking towards these digital mediums, but when it comes to a lot of the movement work, I think it unlocked this whole new world for how people could engage with social justice work, yeah. right? Because I think in the past, if you wanted to learn about these issues, you would have to have uh, either learning in school, which as we all know, yeah. these topics are really not covered um, as much in school or have dialogue with your family as well um, or in your friends. But even then, culturally, um, oftentimes, not all of us have families, right, that talk about these different types of issues. Yeah, of and course it, not. Yeah. And so I think when uh, the power of social media, I think Black Lives Matter uh, movement contributed to this as well, but really unlocked how you can use social media to highlight some of these deeper topics and more nuanced conversations and issues, right? And so from there, you know, for folks who are newer to the movement, who might be a little bit scared about, you know, what to say or um, how to talk about these issues, really had a medium that was unlocked for where they can do that internal learning um, to then have the confidence to start taking other types of actions around this movement. Also, like, you know, what we've experienced as a growing organization, and we're still very much young and growing, like we were born in a digital age. And so we were we, the, the language of social media and hashtags and analytics and impressions and all these like comments and how to engage um, the younger ish generation or, or maybe the more tech savvy generation is more appropriate way to say it, 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 it was natural for us to kind of feel comfortable putting out content that a lot of people tend to gravitate towards. At the same time, though, what we always often have internally as an organization is that you know, we don't want to make it seem like we're the the new and improved way of nonprofitism and volunteering and advocacy, because there are organizations that have been doing it for so long, way yeah, exactly. before. And you guys can always coexist together. Yeah. And we can always coexist. But the thing about it is that oftentimes, especially the, the casual activist or the accidental activist, which is now a term like someone who's very engaged, but hasn't always been engaged in social issues. They often sometimes like see like, oh, there's 
the haters of virus they're 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 doing something new and exciting and they've always been doing the work and we often sometimes have to remind people like there are organizations who've been doing it for way longer for decades like literally decades who've been doing it for so long let's not forget about them because they've laid the groundwork the foundation to allow us especially when it comes from pulling from history and education to allow us to learn from the lessons that they learned and working together. Like you said, it's like working together, not saying that we're better than other organizations, because I think that's something that's quite unique within the Asian community as well, is that even within the Asian community, there's like sub segments of Asians, the East Asians, South Asians, you know, um, Southeast Asians. And sometimes there's like uh, level of differences that yeah exactly we each have our own uh, beliefs we each have our own yeah, specific exactly. causes that we would rather focus more on I've always been curious because there have been other companies excuse me not companies other foundations that have been created during these past couple of years that do a similar goal or have a similar mission to what you guys do as well have you been able to coexist in that space in that same digital space with them without stepping on each other's feet yeah that's a great question you know I think Oftentimes at the start of movements like these, often there is that question of, are we stepping on each other's toes? Um, how do we how do we approach movements that are similar? And I think something we, we come to realize is that in a way that's operating from the scarcity mindset, right? Of, oh, there's limited resources. We're all kind of fighting each other to get access to those resources. And less of thinking about that abundant mindset of how do we actually make that pie bigger um, so that you know, it is so important for each of our organizations to have access to resources to carry out this work, right? Because there are millions of Asian Americans, um, Pacific Islanders in, in this country and wanting to acknowledge that. And so I think that's where we've been shifting towards. And I think we've been seeing that movement among other organizations in this space as well, where we're starting to think about okay, how can we work together, even if there might be some overlap, right? Even if we have shared goals to address ethnic studies or education for our community, how can we inspire our broader community to care about these issues and invest more dollars into this as well? Have you been able to niche down, I guess, your mission or goals? Has it been a change from when you first started this in 2020 to what you're doing now? Like, are you tailoring things? Yeah, that's a great question for us in terms of our next phase. So, Stepping back, I think when we first started this virus, as I mentioned, it was it was more of that small business focus to be able to give back to to those communities. And then as the community needs seemed to shift and we were having broader and broader conversations about racism and hate um, that affects our communities mm. and other communities of color, um, we have broadened our scope as an organization um, and also created an organization, a nonprofit um, around this work. And so the key areas that we're really focused on is thinking about how can we cultivate an API community who is able to engage with this type of work in a joyous and sustainable way, right? And part of our effort in doing that is making this work a lot more personal. So really helping our community understand, okay, what is the historical context for these issues? What are some lessons I can learn about my heritage, my identity, um, and our history that plays a role in some of these issues? And then also thinking about, we all have very different, unique skill sets, right? So some of us might be more outspoken. We're out there at the rallies, um, speaking up, protesting, right? But others of us might be more introverted or more of a reflector or an artist. And that's the way that we want to engage in this work. And that's also beautiful and very much needed as well, right? And so um, as an organization, what we're hoping to do is one, really helping people find their place in in this work and do it sustainably. And then the second piece that we also really want to focus on is how can we also encourage more dialogue and education uh, with mm, uh, across right, yeah. our communities, especially across generations, right? Ray touched on this as well, but there are so many incredible organizations, organizers, leaders that have been doing this work and have been grinding away long before mainstream media coverage of this, right? And and then we have this new generation of change makers who are amped up from, from seeing the recent news um, and asking, like, how can we get involved with this movement? And so what we're really hoping to do is to bridge these different communities together so that we can really work together in pushing this movement forward. So can I ask you then, with everything that's going on, you know, you see the shocking graphic stuff on the news. Do you feel like that actually accelerated as Asians to step up the game? Like, have you noticed something like that? Hmm. Graphic headlines always sell. 
Right. That's basically the news, right? Yeah. It's just yeah. It's just whatever is most graphic at that time, whatever catches mm-hmm. your eyeballs. But it does kind of like light a fire under people's asses sometimes to actually do. do something. I agree. Have you found that to be true? My heart feels heavy just thinking about it. Um, right. You know, yeah. I do think in in many ways those graphic headlines did catalyze people to think about these issues and realize that this is a problem that we need to tackle. And it's so unfortunate that's the case, right? And it's essentially trauma porn that we're constantly seeing and being exposed to a lot of these cases. I think something as um, many of in our community want to move towards is not necessarily needing to be exposed to this, these graphic headlines in order to feel compelled to be a part of the change, right? Because this is a reality and this has been re- a reality before the mainstream coverage of these issues especially for those who are part of the community and are familiar. We have our own personal experiences navigating some of these issues. It's triggering to see those headlines and traumatic to see those headlines. And so, yeah, yeah, we want to definitely move away from just being constantly exposed to these headlines and move to a place where we can just acknowledge that this is a major issue that we need to tackle. Do you have any thoughts on this, Ray? Yeah, I do. I have so many thoughts on (laughs) this. Uh, I think the way that Tammy termed it is is pretty much uh, accurate it's like trauma porn or, or doom scrolling and like if i'm an instagram user and i'm scrolling through and i go down this rabbit hole of seeing these horrific surveillance videos of asian people and old asian people being attacked it does warp your mind a little bit to make you think like we're constantly under attack and in a mac in a macro sense in a societal sense i want to say like there are issues in our community, but I'm personally just someone who likes to think when I, I don't want to live my life instead any anytime I step out the door, there's a concern that someone's gonna jump me from behind. Is there is there a legitimate like do we have that thought nowadays? Maybe Unfortunately so. mm-hmm. that is that is true. But I choose not to live my life in fear and I would hope that other people do so too. But at the same time, if you are someone who needs to be reminded of those things in order for you to get up out of your seat and you know volunteer or donate money or or be vocal then do so i would just advise people for your own mental health don't just get like sucked up into it and thinking like oh my god like we're the most because i think the 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 risk is that some people and i've had friends say like oh we're the most attacked community in america i'm like mm let's not let's yeah, not exactly. go that far like we're like, <laughs> yeah. we can't just live issues. in our own little bubble right. yeah, yeah right. exactly you kind of form yourself a, a little bubble and and then it goes into the whole like social media algorithm thing right. because like you clicked on one <laughs> video and you watched one video and then it feeds you into that because you know we're in an attention economy so personally for me my personal opinion is like I think at the start of it, I watch those videos. If it does come up and it's it's, and it's something that's like really trending, I'll maybe watch it once, but I won't like sit there and watch multiple videos. And sometimes I don't even watch it. Like sometimes I'll read the headline. It's like, yeah, you know, seventy-year-old woman attacked in San Francisco Chinatown. Like I don't need to see that. That the wording and the headline itself is already bad enough and i've seen enough videos to know that our community is at risk at times and that's not to say you don't care about that particular yeah occurrence right. it's just that you know what's going on just based off the major headlines and right. and you watching yeah. that video doesn't necessarily help you in any way yeah a couple um, additional things I would love to name about that too is oftentimes I think when we see mainstream media coverage or see a lot of this content social media, um, it feels like that's the reality of the situation. But I think it's also important to recognize that sometimes it doesn't capture the whole picture. So for instance, yes. um, a lot of times the headlines, um, I think there was a study conduct- conducted on this as well, but the majority of headlines around the API community hate crimes feature a black perpetrator. And the reality is that, unfortunately, but the reality is that the minority perpetrators are not black. Um, they're actually white men. And so those are narratives that are not, not necessarily captured and fosters sentiments like anti-blackness within our community and want to make sure that we're able to acknowledge some of that, right? And then the other piece too is Stop API Hate. Published a report on this as well. But if you look at the violence against our API community, it actually spans beyond the hate crimes as well. So hate crimes is definitely an issue that affects our Asian American community. But there are also, um, unfortunately, a, a whole breadth of other types of violence, whether it's something as subtle as microaggressions in the workplace yeah. that people experience to 
kids getting bullied in schools, right? And so um, I encourage people to start looking at some of those broader issues as well to address um, because it's only once we address those larger systemic issues too, are we going to be able to really help our API community thrive? Yeah, for sure. Going back to what you said before about um, not just seeing the headlines or stuff on social media and having that or thinking that's indicative of what something is as a whole. We always tell people who come to New York or who want to visit New York. Yeah. They very often over the past year or so have asked, hey, is it safe to come to New York now? Or they're hesitant (laughs) to come to New York because of what they see in the news and everything. And as to lifelong New Yorkers, I don't want to say that we just have thicker skin here, but I always (laughs) tell people, yes, there are things happening, but it's not to say that every time you step out, you're in immediate danger of that happening here in New York. And I encourage people to still come visit New York. Should they be maybe a little bit more aware? Should they take certain small precautionary measures? Yes, of course. Whatever makes you feel safe. And this is true of, I'm sure, not just New York City, but other places where you see lots of headlines. Yeah, it shouldn't handicap you from trying to live your life. Yeah. One question that kind of ties into the whole social media thing. Don't take this the wrong way. I've seen this across the internet a lot. A lot of these movements, not just within our community, people have like dubbed it more of a hashtag movement. How do we prove to those skeptics that you guys are more than just that? Thanks for asking that question. Um, it's something we've internally talked about um, quite a few times as well. And yeah, I, I think hash- the hashtag movement component is just the first step, right, in, in this work. It was the role of that hashtag campaign was really to raise awareness of these issues um, and try to reach the mainstream media coverage of that. And I think there's still more work to be done on that front. But I think in some ways, we hit that goal um, with our initial campaign. And, And so the question that we wanted to move towards is, okay, how do we address the questions that people are asking us about? Why is this happening? And what can we do about it? And so in that effort, I think as an organization, we've been seeing this not only with our organization, but other organizations that started around the same time too, but really shifting towards that piece of how can we actually foster more dialogue and education around this. And so there's deeper forms of engagement that we have been building out as an organization, whether it's um, we've been hosting conversations at different corporations, for instance, to talk about microaggressions in the workplace, specific to how it affects API folks, um, and especially API women as well. We have our Changemaker Summit that happens every October for API youth. We do that in partnership with Stop API Hate and Act to Change. And we bring in speakers like Helen Zia, the OG activist, uh, Ashlyn So. She's, she was like an 11-year-old fashion designer at the time, I believe. I may have her age wrong yeah. there, but super young and super <laughs> talented. And just being able to bring these different voices to the table and have conversations about this, right? Addressing some of those questions for people who might feel discouraged, like, okay, so now that mainstream media is not covering this, is the movement, is there progress actually happening? And the answer is yes, right? And and so how, how can we make that bit more visible to the broader community is I think something that we're trying to focus on next. Speaking of like real tangible things, you guys have been able to raise over a million dollars so far. That is real tangible hard currencies. That, that's a lot of Benjamins. That's, that's um, long. What <laughs> have you guys been able to accomplish with that money or what are you planning to do with that money going forward? Yeah. Um, before I start, Ray, did you want to add something? No, I was going to answer the the currency. And that's one of the things that I feel like oftentimes like that doesn't get brought up a lot. And the hashtag is very like engaging, right? And people can share it on their social medias. But what a lot of people don't know is that we do a lot of grantee work and we have a lot of grantees. So that money that we raise contributes to other organizations. And that's, again, kind of ties back to building that bridge with organizations who've been doing it for for a very long time. And then also what we always try to keep in mind, and it's like, yes, we have the ability, and I I view it as a strength of being able to reach out to the masses and get people to donate to, to our organization. We also understand that that currency, that money, those funds should be distributed. And we do distribute it to organizations who specialize in, you know, uh, South Asian work, in Southeast Asian work, in Hmong communities, in, in, in communities that we can't say, like, we know or we're the expert in, in the work that they do, because right. we're not, like, this truth be told. You know, not all of us are Southeast Asian. We're not a Southeast Asian organization. We're a mix of different Asians. But we reach out to those organizations to do, um, to connect with them. And we have an amazing internal team, a grant, a fund manager, and we have um, advisory council to kind of have those internal discussions to say, 
say, let's review and think about the work that these amazing people are doing and provide them the means to continue the work that they're doing. And I think for us, like that's what we we specialize in and what we are proud of is that we're able to raise these funds. And, you know, I wasn't around in the first, I think, raise a million, but seeing if you were there, they could have gone to two million, right? That's the next goal. That's a really great highlight of what you accomplished. Was there ever like some like really dark times or like low lights when you're like doing any of this, by the way? I mean, uh, from my perspective, like not necessarily like low lights, but I think it's the daily grind of just making sure we're constantly doing what our our mission and, and our values are keeping in check. It's not necessarily low lights too. I think it's just like the grind of being in a nonprofit organization, which a lot of people don't tend to understand when they want to volunteer. And that's when I'm just 100% honest with friends or acquaintances or colleagues that want to volunteer more. I tell them both sides of it. You obviously get the good sides of being able to do meaningful work and impactful work. At the other side of it, it's work. It's a grind. Like yeah, if you work. want to be work able to, exactly, if you want to be able to have an impact and make a good effort, you want to put in the hours for it. And a lot of people in our organization have put in the hours for it, uh, put in it the shows. hours. And you won't have successes all the time. Sometimes some programs don't work. Sometimes we don't raise as much money as, we, as we'd as we like to. Um, and that's just the reality. And I do think a lot of organizations kind of go through that. Yeah. And, and I think just to add to that too, I think it is definitely a grind. And I think that's something that we've taken to heart over this past year, especially. Because I think when we first started, it was a response to the community. And then over the last two years, it's really been, okay, constant events in our community that were really unfortunate, tragic events. And the community was asking for support, right? And as an organization built to serve the community, we were trying to respond as quickly as possible. And in a lot of ways, I don't think we were taking care of ourselves in that process either. And so- Got you. There was a lot of burnout across our team, um, change makers last year. There was a lot of work and heart and soul put into that, but people were super exhausted after that. And I think something that we try to prioritize going into this year is really thinking about, okay, how do we think about the sustainability of the organization, but also our team members and taking care of their health, right? We still have stretches where we're grinding hard, but you know, if people do need to take some time off or take a break from some of this work, we really do want to encourage that, right? Because this is work that's going to take like decades to come to address. It's definitely a marathon and not a sprint. And so um, how do we pace ourselves and and continue to find joy and sustainability in this work? That is so true. That's like when you're on an airplane and they tell you if the airplane's falling down, make sure you cover your face first, get yourself some oxygen before you can take care of the people next to you, right? It's like the same thing too. You guys are so focused on the goal sometimes. And that's I'm sure that's true for most non-for-profits as well. You're so focused on a fixed goal that sometimes you forget to take care of yourself and the people around you so that you can keep going forward with all this. Right. Two years now, and I know I kind of touched base on this before, has anything changed in terms of your perspectives on how the world is? I would say for my end... I'm feeling very hopeful still, even with everything that has been going on. You know, sometimes I feel like, especially in this work, it's hard to see change right away. It's not always immediate, right? And sometimes that can feel really discouraging, especially given how rough some of these incidents are. But one thing, one story that comes to mind actually is Ray alluded to our Raise a Million campaign. But when we first started, we actually launched a campaign called Raise a Million, which is literally our effort to raise a million dollars to give back to our API community. Um, it was the precursor to Community Action Fund. And when we first launched that fundraiser, I think over the course of a year, we raised a total of $30,000 <laughs> towards our Raise a Million goal. And what we oh. were hearing from a lot of the different corporations we were talking to for funding were things like, oh, you know... We actually already set our budget for Lunar New Year and API Heritage Month. Please come back to us during a different wow. quarter, right? And little things like that. and Or even the questions that uh, I was being asked in interviews sometimes were, oh, is this really happening to the Asian American community? <laughs> mm. Has this always been happening or is this just happening? And so- wow. uh, that's pretty shocking. I know. And then, you know, fast forward to um, even just this past year for the Community Action Fund, when we relaunched that as a new initiative, again, with that same goal of raising a million dollars, we raised that 
in less than six months. We hit our goal in less than That's six months. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. I know. Take that budget people. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and also thank you budget people. Can you attribute that quick six months to like anything in particular that you did differently or? Yeah. Yeah. Or was it just a timing thing you think? It's not luck. It's definitely not luck. Hey, no, no, I, I do money. feel like it's a combination of just being able to reach more folks and mm-hmm. folks feeling like there's a type of urgency, you know, uh, again, I, I attribute it to some of the coverage that we've been getting. Mm-hmm. Yes, it doesn't mean like it just started happening, but more eyeballs and ears are starting to pay attention to it. And so people tend to react to it and they want to help. And so they donate it and you know, for us, our, as an organization, we're like happy to accept those funds. Like, hey, if you feel like the most that you can do is donating, which oftentimes is very, very good. Like a lot of people say, how do I help? Well, donating to an organization is is a, is the best way to do it sometimes because allow other people, allow organizations to take those resources and, you know, execute on the work that they, they are, um, they're committed to doing. Uh, I think it's also what I, I really appreciate in the last two years, if you will, is that it does feel like us as an Asian community from all types are starting to be a lot more aware and a lot more cognizant of our ethnicities, our cultures, and celebrating it a lot more and being respectful of other cultures and communities. You mentioned like anti-blackness and colorism within our Asian community. It was something that I was not privy to early on in my early, when I was a young kid, but as I got more into this nonprofit work, I learned more about that stuff. And now it's like, okay, like I didn't realize it before. And I think a lot more people are realizing it now. And that does lead into a more community-based, like more having a solidarity with other communities. For me, I think that's like been the overarching positive. Long ways to go, long road ahead for sure. But when you look back and you think about how have I changed, and I ask everyone to think about this, like how have I changed in the last two, three, four, five X amount of years? And if you can point to something, then already that's progress because everyone else is kind of feeling the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Tammy, do you have anything else to add on to that? Yeah, I think that that was beautifully said. And I think something that we're also thinking about just as an organization too is how can we bring more transparency and visibility into to the impact that we're having? I think that's definitely an area that we are trying to improve upon. And I know it's a shared challenge with a lot of nonprofit organizations because sometimes when you're executing the programs, it's hard to allocate resources to then illustrating what that looks like. But yeah. um, with the the fund, funding that we raised, we've already been able to give out over $700,000 in grants so far to over... 66 organizations across the nation. We made sure to put an emphasis on um, granting money to the South, the Midwest, um, to underrepresented API communities, the Pacific Islander, Native Hawaiian communities, South Asian, Southeast communities, um, with the help of our advisory council. You know, this is so important too because less than 0.2% of philanthropic funding goes to API organizations mm-hmm. in the nation. 0.2, you said? That's worse. That's worse than skim milk. That's <laughs> worse than skim milk. Yes. Yeah. That's that's lower than skim yes, milk percentage. That's, yeah. That's oh, not good. What a skim milk of organization. <laughs> sure. skim milk. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is kind of crazy, though. Yeah. On one side, I'm very surprised. On the other, I'm not surprised. Dude, right? that's almost zero. I know. Jeez. Especially Christ. given the population, how many Asian American yeah. Pacific Islander are in this country. And so, yeah, definitely want to push that for that more. And then um, also adding to what Ray said, the dollars are super, super important. But we also want to find ways for our community to get even more involved with these organizations, right? Whether it's volunteering with these organizations or even amplifying the work that they do, or maybe for content creators, mm-hmm. they can create content about some of these organizations who don't necessarily have access to social ideas. And so, Great ideas. yeah, um, there's so many different ways people can get involved and want to nurture that. Great segue right there. Speaking of creating content, yeah, you guys have finally branched out to what every millennial has, everyone of our <laughs> age. Seems to have a podcast. Yeah. And it's yeah. Uh, actually 75% of the people in this conversation right now have a podcast. That is Gee, true. Unless yes. you have a secret podcast, Tammy, that you that that we don't know about. Make it 100. Did you have one? I actually, I actually do, or did. Do um, oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> 100. Oh, yeah. Call Space Bay. Oh, my there God. There you go. Uh, 
it's a trend. Yeah. Podcasting is a great way of amplifying the voices of others. Yes. You have your own uh, podcast that uh, branched off. Uh, Ray, you want to give us some information on that? Yeah. So we've been kind of noodling on this idea for a while. And Catherine and I, Catherine is the creator of the podcast. You know, she wanted to expand Real Talk Tuesday, which is the IG live talk that we have on our Instagram. And, you know, the the genesis of the idea is her wanting to have more of a deeper, lengthier conversation with folks and guests because on IG Live, you're limited to really only 20 to 30 minutes or so. And I also think the difference between the live stream and the podcast is that, you know, the live stream, you kind of have this sense of like, there's eyeballs watching you. So, you know, you feel like you do have to have some kind of a uh, a facade, not to say that everyone we ju- that comes onto the episode is fake or anything like that, but you you come in with an understanding that there's going to be some people live watching you. That's with a podcast, yeah. it's more of like a more candid conversation, even though it is being recorded. So you do have to kind of get over that mental hurdle. But with a podcast, it's you kind of feel a little bit more. You can be a little bit more candid, and so the podcast is really an opportunity for us to have pun intended, unfiltered conversations. <laughs> Therefore, the name is called Real Talk Unfiltered. And uh, it's just an opportunity for us to dive deeper into the topics that the guests want to talk about. One of the things that we try to really emphasize is that we don't cut our, or yeah, we don't cut any like awkward or uncomfortable segments that, that we feel like, oh, maybe this might not be uh, taken well, received well by some listeners. I think we keep that all in. Obviously, it's edited. It's not like we take the raw audio and just upload it. It's edited in a way to where it's listenable and enjoyable. But the conversations are really uh, kept in there. And it can kind of go and we let the guests talk about um, whatever it is they want to talk about. They could, you know, we've had guests who've, who've gotten really emotional on the podcast and on the episode because we kind of go down this emotional journey of, of talking about, you know, APIs and uh, formerly incarcerated a- APIs or social justice issues as artists. And, you know, all of that is attributed to Catherine's vision of making sure the guest is the highlight and the, and the main draw for the, for the podcast. Um, for myself, I just, you know, I, you guys know that I just enjoyed producing podcasts. Um, you have your own podcast and you can plug your podcast. Yep. Real, Real Asian, Asian podcast. podcast. Ray gets very deep on uh, movies, things in uh, cinema uh, to a level that uh, Ben and I cannot at all whatsoever. <laughs> great, great fucking name, by the way. I got to say, you. I, like, I, know, I love it. it. Yeah. I enjoy your guys' yeah. podcast as well. Thank you. If I want to just have a good time. Your guys' podcast is definitely uh, one of the options. <laughs> like those loud-ass uh, people at the back of the bar that just keep screaming at each other, but you can't stop listening to them. Yeah, that's all. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> we apologize. But everyone check it out. I'll have links to absolutely everything down in the box below. Before we get to my favorite segment of the podcast, do you guys have anything else you want to uh, talk about today in regards to the actual foundation itself? Yeah, I think if people want to get involved with Haters of Virus, the organization, go to haterofvirus.org. We have donation links there as well. We're always fundraising, not necessarily by campaigns, but check out, you know, all the stuff that we're doing. We do have, um, I don't know if we can cut, Tammy, can I talk about the impact report? Is that coming yeah. out? Yeah, yes, please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we do have an impact report coming out. So any listeners out there kind of wondering what we do, go to our website and then how we do it and what type of work and the impact that we've done. We're coming out with the impact report soon to, sh- to show all the programs and all the money that we've put to, uh, donated Oh, that's the transparency that Tammy was talking about before, yeah. right? Yeah. Great. Tammy, anything? I think that's it on Don't my feel end. pressured. Yeah. <laughs> Go play Valorant. Is that what you wanted to say? <laughs> Go play She's like, right oh. <laughs> Let's move on to um, my favorite segment of the whole podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of every podcast, no matter who the hell is on, we do a segment called Ranting and Raving. It's just a lighthearted way for us to end every episode by venting and bitching about something in our lives <laughs> oh man i couldn't wait for this ben and i will start this off just so you guys can have a moment to find something frustrating in your life to also bitch about yeah i'm gonna take this away go free wi-fi i go to a lot of places where there is free wi-fi i want to make this point very clear i'm glad that a place is giving me free wi-fi whether it's a hotel a theme park a cafe yada yada i'm very I... very thankful for that okay <laughs> what i am not thankful for is the type of wi-fi the free wi-fi where they make you literally sign up for an account 
Uh, I know what you mean. Well, you have yeah. to log in, make an account, give them your social security, to give them your credit score. Upload my, your driver's license. My mother's maiden name, yeah. all that jazz, just so I can get free Wi-Fi. And you got to do the thing was like, which one's a tractor? You got to click on and the I pictures. And I can't tell. Oh, yeah. The security check. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's like, like oh, am I a robot? I hope not. And then when you get it wrong, you're like, oh, shit, am I a robot? <laughs> oh, my God, this whole time. Most of the places just, you know, you click something, you read terms of whatever, you agree to something, bam, boom, you're done. Two clicks, you're good, right? Free Wi-Fi. Yeah, and then mm-hmm. Russia has your phone. That's all. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. Yeah, Putin's like, on it right now as we speak. Where did this happen? I think I was at Disney World being stuck in Disney World. Being stuck. I use the word stuck. stuck. Yeah, being I was stuck in say, Disney oh, World. I needed stuck. to distract my brain at Not times. prison. Disney World. So I needed to go on like social media or check the news or something. And I remember I had to use a burner email account. (laughs) Just again. How about you, Ben? What do you got this week? Daylight savings time is approaching. Uh, I'm not a big fan, you know? Okay. Yeah, just, you know, when it gets dark at like five, it's just depressing. So you don't like it when it's four o'clock and turning dark? No, it's depressing, (laughs) dude. It's like, oh, great. Like, I'm a summer guy. That's why. You know, I like it when it's sunny out. I feel that. You like the sunny days, the brightness. You know, I like the 8 o'clock sunset, you know? Yes. Didn't our Senate pass something to did, get rid of daylight savings, but did, it died in the House? They're oh, trying yeah. to, and then they're like, no, Benjamin frankly wouldn't want that. I was like, all right, great, sure. <laughs> I have no idea what that has to do with anything. I think he's the one that created it, that's <laughs> why. I think Benjamin Franklin created that shit. God damn you, Benjamin Franklin. Please fact also, check, Ben. Yeah, I have also, no idea please, I have no idea. I'm just making that shit up, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure he, I believe it's that man. You're gonna get people. You're gonna get Ben Franklin fans come out. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get him canceled. Yeah. Stay tuned for season two where we have uh, Benjamin Franklin on the podcast to yes. defend yeah, his claim be- for daylight savings. <laughs> yeah. He's gonna hear. Oh it. man. Do any of you have anything to vent about? Um. Sure. <laughs> I'll kick it. Off. I'll kick it off from our side. I have a gaming related one. <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, for you. Oh, no surprise. I know. Okay. Well, so I guess it's not the lightest of things to rant about, but I've been really annoyed by how toxic games can be. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. anytime as a woman, if you use, so some of these games, you got to use voice chat. And if you want to rank up in the game, you know, ideally you would use voice chat so your team can work well together. But right, mm-hmm. yeah. a lot of times it's like as soon as they hear a woman's voice, they're like, oh, is it a woman on the team? And then they it's just... It's a bunch of pervs, isn't it? It's either perverted or they like literally have issues about a woman <laughs> playing and will like sabotage you in the game. Oh, right, right, it's right. It's just... Right. Oh, that's so, even worse. I know. On, on I know. behalf of men, we are so sorry <laughs> that we are dumbasses. <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> we are Neanderthals. So I apologize about that. That is toxic, yeah. Tammy, when you when you do get that though, do you go like, yo, you guys can go fuck yourselves, like, you, <laughs> you know, respectfully, or no, you just mute it. I just honestly it, talking to them doesn't actually help, so I usually mute it. <sighs> oh, and then damn. I know I it's want super Tammy unfortunate. Yeah, I want you to. Uh, that takes a lot of willpower just to mute it and like not clap back. I know. I totally want to all the time. Sometimes I'll like drop in a comment here and there, but yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Yeah. You should just like after you kill them, be like, "Yeah, what's up, son?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, right. that's it. It's just, I know. You know, that's it. It's like you're yeah. a loser. Yeah. How about you, Ray? Um, this. Let's see. This happened to me recently, uh, or over the weekend. I truly do not understand and hate double parkers, and so especially when <laughs> there's, especially when it's so egregious. Like sometimes you have like the big pickup truck Yo. that's like super diagonal and crossing over lines. <laughs> like, okay, bro, like I get it. You have a big truck and showing your masculinity or how you know big your whatever is. Yeah, uh, but I small. just don't understand it when there's like an empty parking lot when people still do that. Like yes. I don't get it. Like it takes maybe like you don't have to be perfect and straight, but when it's no, so yeah. bad and it's an empty parking lot, like you had to do that purposefully. You had to intentionally be like i want I to a double park and it's even worse <laughs> when it's like a small parking lot and it's a popular place and there's yeah. always that one car that like double parks it just because they have like a tesla or a bmw or whatever a nice car it's oh like, yeah they're trying to give themselves some a buffer room yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. i i just absolutely hate it you know it's so funny you're not the first person to bitch about parking i think we had uh, Safan kim the reporter yeah. on and he also bitched about yeah. new york uh, cabbies Double parking when there's literally like a fire hydrant spot right next to them, <laughs> yeah. but they're still yeah. somehow double parking. Yeah, they're like yeah. right behind it, and nah. So I guess from yeah. uh, coast to coast, parking is a 
it's a big thing for everybody. Yeah. The etiquette. Yeah, there's driver etiquette, man. Uh, yeah. Okay. I hate parking out there in California, by the way. I have bitched about this a lot. But Yo, it's so bad there. You just came back from California recently. Yo. I don't know how you guys deal with that crap. Which part yeah. of California? Uh, Hollywood? Oh, yeah. Ish? Yep. Oh, okay. she's like, oh, duh, Ben, you fucked up there. That's <laughs> your fault. <laughs> Every time I'm in California, I get like a migraine. Yeah, you guys have to drive everywhere. Yeah. You have to drive everywhere. But Orange County so is, is a lot easier to drive in and a lot more parking space. So next time. Okay. <laughs> All right. Next Check out Orange County. Mass Mass Transit. Transit. You guys need to step up your mass transit game. I know. I know. Well, I mean, I live in the Bay Area, so we do have BART, uh, which is like okay but compared to new york uh, it's like if i ever was to live out there i wouldn't seriously get rid of my car because there's no need for it yeah there's no need for a car you, here you, you know can what? get anywhere if i move to cali i'm just gonna row a boat <laughs> <laughs> i think that would be faster at this point i'm yeah. just gonna get a, a kayak and be like where are you going I, like, I don't even know the oc apparently uh, life hack guys <laughs> <laughs> Tammy, Ray, thank you guys for coming on. Great conversation. Really for do real. appreciate it. I was going into this knowing it was going to be a very heavy topic, but I'm glad to find out that we still had a very good time talking about it. Yeah. Uh, Tammy, yeah. if anyone listening wants to get involved in any way whatsoever, what's the best resource for them to go to? Yeah, it would be to connect with us through our website, hateisavirus.org, or on any of our social media channels. We have an Instagram as well as a TikTok, um, Twitter, at hateisavirus. Great. And donations are through the same page as well, right? Through our website. Mm-hmm. Line our DMs. Feel free to DM us. Yes. And Ray, the podcast, where can they find the podcast? Yeah. So Real Talk Unfiltered is we're under the Hate is Virus Instagram. Uh, new episodes come out every other Tuesday. Find us on all Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Winamp, Napster, whatever the case may be. Winamp. Uh, yeah. Whoa. You can find us on fucking throwback. Yeah. What was it like, yeah, yeah. Winamp? Something llamas ass. It was like, yeah, just llamas. <laughs> I can't do it. Yeah, some shit like that. You know like what I'm that. talking about, yeah. right? It's like, win them, yeah, win them. Something, something llamas ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I swear this oh, was a thing. Yeah, I love you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Can you still download Winamp? <laughs> I have no idea. Too. Why would you? <laughs> I don't know. For the skins, you just need it for the skin. Yo, yeah. this guy used to yeah. do it all the time. So yo, check out my new skin. <laughs> yeah, I wish Spotify would wow. do the same thing. You could skin your own app. Yo, we're just giving away our ages at this point. So uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're like, what's a win app? And yeah, and I'll, I'll shout out my own podcast, Real Asian Podcast. You can check us out on podcast platform as well. There's a difference. Uh, that's Real Asian Podcast, R-E-E-L, not R-E-A-L. So make sure you yep. guys don't mix those two up. It's real as in film real, a physical film real. By a real Asian though. By a real Asian. Yes. <laughs> By a R-E-A-L Asian. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> Just to clarify. I'll have a link to his real Asian podcast <laughs> as well down there. Um, if you want to stay up to date what Ben and I are doing on a daily basis, that's Worst Asian Pod on every single social media because nobody wants to be called Worst Asian anything on the internet. So it's all ours. It's up yeah. for grabs for us. Nice. <laughs> Ready to go. Links to everything can be found at www.worstasianpod.com. Um, you got anything else, Ben? Uh, you know, don't don't drive in Cali. Roll <laughs> <laughs> don't don't double park. All right. All right, guys, on behalf of Ray, Tammy, uh, Ben, and myself, take it easy now. Bye. Bye. See ya. Peace out, y'all. Bye.